You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Our Bible reading today is from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. It can be found on page 916 of the Pew Bible or on the overhead screen. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thanks, Kirk. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Uh, It's really exciting to have all of these baby announcements uh, and to uh, meet Alyssa as she was here at dinner tonight. There's so many wonderful uh, things about being a parent. It's full of pleasures and privileges. Uh, But I reckon none greater uh, of all of the things about being a parent, I think the absolute best thing has got to be permission to tell dad jokes. Um, Right, It's in the name. It's in the name, isn't it? Um, I came up with an absolute gem uh, this week. Uh, Emily, who's our middle child uh, was getting awarded uh, a badge at assembly on Monday because she got elected to the student representative council, the SRC. So when she announced that, I said, Ems, that's such great news. Mum and I would definitely have to come and SRC you get it. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't didn't laugh. Um, Actually, what happens now when I tell dad jokes is the reaction is groan. Not an actual groan, like they don't even bother groaning, they just say, groan like that. 
And it's dawning on me that this beautiful period of life where your children actually think you're funny is coming to an end. It's over. Um, We're thinking today uh, a little bit about what it means to be groaning people. Now, the example I've just given is a pretty flippant and superficial example. Um, My terrible jokes... Uh, are not the worst things uh, that we experience in this life. There is much that we go through which is really troubling and trying and it causes us to groan. That sense of things are not right. Things are not right in my life. Things are not right in the world that causes us to groan. And as we think in this series, and this is the last in the series, about our personhood, what it means to be a human being. We need to wrestle seriously tonight uh, for the reality that, that Christian people, people who follow Jesus, are people who, who groan because things are not right. To set it in context, um, through this series, we've seen that there's a tension that lies within us as human beings. So God has created us. We saw in the first week that God lovingly forms us. Uh, We also saw that God makes us as whole beings. We've got bodies, we've got emotions. We're complex and there's lots of parts to us as human beings, all beautiful parts of God's creation of us. We also saw that another good thing about God's creation of us is that we're made in the image of God. We're made to reflect God so that we uh, look after the world uh, under God and for God And we're also made to reflect God's good character. So there's a goodness about us as human beings, created, whole, and in the image of God. But we also saw that there's a reality about us as human beings that we're also broken and sinful. We haven't lived the life that God wanted us to live in its entirety. We've disobeyed God's commandments. We haven't lived everything that he wanted us to do. And so there's a, there's a brokenness within us where we go the wrong way, we do the wrong thing, we hurt other people, uh, and we even make decisions that hurt ourselves. So embedded in humanity and every single human being is this tension about being both created good but being broken and fallen. Then in our series, we move to the reality that if you are someone who follows Jesus and has committed your life to Jesus, there is this stunning new reality about your identity, that you are someone who is in Christ, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, through putting your trust in him and coming into a relationship with him, that it it amazingly changes the way that you should think about yourself, that you are secure in Jesus. There is no condemnation. The wrong things that we've done have been dealt with completely by Jesus. We're not condemned for our sinfulness and the wrong things that we've done. We also have been given God's Holy Spirit who comes and takes up residence within us to transform and to change us from the inside out. We saw the beautiful reality that we're children of God, sons and daughters in such a relationship of intimacy with God that we can call him daddy and that we're part of his family and connected with other people. So there's stunning realities that change the way we should think about ourselves when we come into a relationship with Jesus. The question is, does that mean that everything is solved for us? When we become a Christian, 
Um, this tension that used to exist between the goodness of creation and the brokenness of sin suddenly disappears. It's all full steam ahead and life is great without any struggles or trials or problems at all. And the answer, of course, is no. Not yet. Not everything has been resolved. We have a stunning new identity in Christ. It is wonderful in the way that it changes us. But we don't yet have the fullness of life that God has promised to give us. There's still a tension that strikes at the heart of people who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, and the tension is between what we already have now and what we don't yet have but are still waiting for. So Romans 8:23 from our passage sums it up well. Here's what it says. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Who am I? If I'm a follower of Jesus and God's Holy Spirit is within me, then I am a groaning person. I groan because I'm not yet all that I will be. I groan because I've received some but not all that God has promised me. I groan because I'm immersed in a world and in a body that is still racked by sin and suffering and death and pain. I groan because I'm waiting for God to complete the work that he's begun in me. Do you groan? You know, I groan when I see on the news that people going to mosque have been slaughtered by a lone gunman. I groan when a friend rings me up and says, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I groan for my friends who struggle with mental illness and who are in deep depression and they, they, they just struggle through life. I groan when my relationships are full of unhelpful conflict and problems arise in relationships. I groan when... I stuff up and I fall into the same stupid patterns of sin that I should have dealt with but I keep falling into. I groan and I groan and I groan because things are not how they're supposed to be. And the fact that God's Spirit dwells within us actually doesn't make the problem less. We're told here in this passage that it actually exacerbates the problem. Because God's Spirit living within us gives us actually a taste of the future reality that we are going to have with God in perfect eternity. And the fact that God's Spirit is within us just makes us all the more longing and yearning for things to be better. Um, uh, writer called Leslie Newbigin speaks of the Holy Spirit in this way. It's a beautiful picture. He says that the Holy Spirit is not a lantern which a traveller in the dark carries in his hand. It's the glow on his face of the coming dawn. God gives us his Holy Spirit. It's not just so that we can sort of find our way through life, but it's actually, this passage says, the first fruits, it's like the first taste of the fullness that is going to come. It's a starter, a taster of everything that is coming over the horizon that God is going to give us as God's Spirit dwells within us here and now. 
there's a tension that remains for us. The tension is between what we have now as Christian people and what we don't yet have but are still waiting for and longing for. Our humanity is changed in real ways now, but it's not all that it's going to be. As we grapple with this reality of being groaning people, I want to unpack it through this passage by thinking about really the first three talks that we looked at in this series and and seeing the way that we're still groaning for more in light of each of these things. So groaning because we're created and part of the creation, groaning because God has created us as whole beings and we're still waiting for the completion of the whole of ourselves, and groaning because we've been made in the image of God and yet we don't fully image God as we should. So let's take the first one first. What does it mean to be created people and part of the creation in general in terms of the groaning? We saw in that talk that um, we share a, a relationship with the rest of creation, that God puts us in his world to look after it, and we're connected with the physical world in which we live. We have a sort of kinship and a strong relationship as part of it. And we see that really clearly in this passage as both we groan, but also the creation itself, we're told, is groaning. Here's what it says in verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So with the fall of humanity, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and went their whole way, own way, it didn't just impact humanity, but it also impacted the whole of creation. Creation itself came under a curse. As it says here, it was subjected to futility and decay by God. It started running down and humanity hasn't been treating creation the way that it should be treated. And yet at the same time, this was done in hope. Hope that just as God is going to sort out the problem with humanity and our sin and rebellion against him, that he's also going to sort out the creation. He's not just going to leave creation to be in decay and destruction, but he's actually going to restore the whole of creation as he's going to restore humanity. So there's hope there. But the fate of creation is bound up with humanity's fate. Creation has to wait for God to complete the work in humanity. And so we're told that creation is waiting with eager expectation. That word means sort of standing up and looking to the horizon, looking for something that's coming over the horizon. Uh, If you've ever been to the zoo and you've seen meerkats, I reckon its creation is described here like a meerkat. You know, the ones that are on guard and they're standing tall, kind of looking like that. Creation's a meerkat, looking, waiting. What's God going to do? Waiting and anticipating this future that is coming waiting for God to complete the work in you and me and all of humanity for God's 
adopted children to be revealed, that it's seen who are the followers of Jesus and the sons and daughters of God. And in the meantime, while creation waits for this, creation's groaning, verse 22. The whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation is groaning because things are not as it should be. Sea levels rising because of climate change. Species becoming extinct. Uh, Erosion caused by the chopping down of trees. And I could go on and on and you've got your own list as well. The way that creation groans because things are not as it should be. But we're told here that it's not groaning without hope. It's like the groans that come in childbirth. A few good examples that we've just seen of the outcomes. Right? Childbirth is excruciatingly painful. I've only ever experienced it in my left hand. Um, as Anna crushed my hand in the, in the throes of labour as our three children were born. But something good comes at the end. Despite the incredible pain of childbirth, there's new life, there's new birth. And for the creation, it's exactly the same. It's groaning in pain, but new life is going to come. God's promised a new creation, the restoration of the earth and the heavens, that that is going to come. It's promised. But because of the connectedness between humanity and creation, creation has to wait for the work to be done in humanity. So that brings us to the second point. What exactly are we waiting for? What is creation waiting to be completed in humanity? Well, that's verse 23 again. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What is it that Christians are waiting for? What is it that we're hoping for? Are we hoping that you know, our souls will escape from these lousy bodies and go floating off somewhere? Is that what we're hoping for? No, the language here is we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Christian hope is resurrection hope, that in the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead, that we too will be made like Jesus when he comes back, that our bodies will be raised from the dead. They'll be redeemed. Every single part of us will be restored to the fullness of what God always intended for us. Think about it like this. Uh, At a a car show, um, they often have what are called prototype vehicles, which are often sort of futuristic uh, cars. Um, They're not in production yet. Uh, The designers kind of play with ideas and do really fancy stuff. Um, And prototypes are working models. So you could take this out, you could drive it, you could sort of play with all the fancy features of it. But that's all there is. It's just that, that one car. There's nothing more than that. And Jesus is like the prototype for humanity, the new humanity that God is going to restore and make. That in the same way that Jesus has defeated death through his death on the cross and then resurrection, he smashed through death and death can no longer touch him. He's beyond the power of death and 
pain and decay. And what he's like, we will be like. Again, that idea that because we are in Christ, everything that Jesus has, everything that Jesus wins, everything that Jesus achieves comes to us who trust in him, those who are in Christ. So just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that is our hope and what we're longing for and groaning for. But it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't gone into production yet. There's only one model, Jesus. But when he comes back, that is when the redemption of our bodies and our hope will be fulfilled. And so we groan while we wait. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it quite hard to think about what this actually looks like and means. What would it mean to have resurrection bodies? And we've got a few clues in the Bible. So you can look at Jesus, who is the prototype, and you can say, well, um, he was still recognisably Jesus. People knew that it was Jesus when they saw him, although sometimes it took a little while to work that out. Um, there was a sense of continuity when he rose from the dead with his body beforehand because his body was no longer in the tomb. So it wasn't like throw out completely the old body, get a completely new one. It was his old body raised from the dead. But it wasn't exactly the same. He could do amazing things like appear in locked rooms and he seemed to sort of come and go at will. So you've got to hold together this fact that there's, there's continuity between... Jesus before his resurrection and afterwards, but he's transformed as well. And Paul, um, one of the writers of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about it like a seed growing into a plant. So sunflower seeds there on the left, you stick one of those in the ground and it grows and it becomes something quite different and even more amazing, a sunflower I don't know about you, but I would, I would prefer the sunflower. It's way more impressive than the seed. But the sunflower comes from the seed and grows out of it. And Paul uses that to say, it's a bit like that with our bodies. Our hope is that we'll be resurrected and our bodies now are like the seed, but we're going to be like the sunflower, so much better. And in that same chapter, he uses contrast to try and help us to think about it. He says that our bodies now are, are perishable. They, they die, they decay, they break down, but our new bodies will be imperishable, untouched by death and sickness and pain. Our bodies at the moment, he says, are sown in dishonour. I think he's meaning that when a dead body goes into the ground, it's not very impressive, it's sort of dishonourable. But when we rise from the dead, it'll be triumphant and glorious, it'll be amazing. Our present bodies are weak. We become frail, there are things that we can't do physically, our resurrection bodies are powerful. We'll have, I mean, I don't even know, but we'll have powers beyond what our present bodies can do. He says that our current bodies are like natural bodies, but we'll get spiritual bodies, which doesn't mean that we'll be like ghosts and, you know, you could poke your finger through the other person because there's nothing there. The language that's being used is a bit like, if you think about cars again, what fuel is in the tank, you know? We've got a new car which takes diesel. I've got to remember to put diesel in it rather than unleaded with the other car. And what he's saying here is that our new bodies will be spirit-empowered, fuel-injected bodies, really, that will be totally filled, totally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had 
uh, a particular experience where you've been filled with God's Spirit in a particular moment and the amazing um, feeling of, of love and God might have empowered you to do something. Well, the resurrection body is like all the time empowered by the Holy Spirit and fully rather than these natural bodies. It's hard to get your head around, but when you start to think about it this way, you see this is amazing what we've got to look forward to. And it's no wonder that we we groan in these bodies that become frail, uh, which struggle with lots of problems now, but we're longing for, groaning for, new bodies and the whole of our bodies, the whole of our personhood to be restored when Jesus returns. Then the last thing is this idea of the image of God. We know that we're made in God's image to reflect God. And we also know, and we've seen through this series, that the person who most fully is the image of God is Jesus himself. He's described as the perfect image of God. And the hope for us is that we will become more like Jesus. Here's what it says in Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. So God's goal for you and for all of the people that he's chosen uh, to be his is that you will be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus. Now, we often react against that idea of conformity. We, we don't like conforming because we sort of think, well, that just means we're just being like everyone else. It's kind of like, you know, it's God's plan here that we're all just robots of each other looking exactly the same. But actually, this idea of conforming to the image of Jesus is the opposite of that. It's about becoming the fullness of who God created you to be. With your unique personality, your unique gifts, your unique personhood, but being transformed fully to be what God always created you to be and wanted you to be. Made more like Jesus in terms of your character and reflecting what he's like and what God the Father is like. It won't be that you cease to be you. It won't be that you just become clones of other people, but that you will be in the fullness of God who created you to be with all of the positive characteristics of you emphasised and those areas of struggle and sin dealt with so that you are fully human in a way that you have never been before and like Jesus in his beautiful character reflecting him fully. It's no wonder we groan, is it? and that we groan along with the creation when we think about all of these things that God has in store for us for the future. And as, as Christians who have God's Holy Spirit living within us, we're all the more aware of what we don't have now and what we're longing for and looking forward to. So what are we to do in the meantime? While we live in the here and now, what should we do? Well, we need to hold in our heads the vision of what is coming. We need to focus on the glory of the future that God is bringing in when Jesus comes back. And we need to live for it now. We need to live the future out 
in our reality now. We've often talked about, uh, in terms of our identity in Jesus, to be who God has made you to be. And that's very important. But I guess the emphasis tonight is also to live out now who you are going to be when God completes his work in you. And it's really talking about the work of being a follower of Jesus. What are the areas in your life where you struggle with sin? Those areas aren't going to belong in the future. So start getting rid of those areas from your life now. Is it that you're struggling with greed or with lust? Or is it that you get into unhealthy patterns of conflict with other people? Is it that you gossip in your speech? What is it? There's a whole stack of areas we could list. These things don't belong to the future that God is bringing in. And so we've got to put to death those things now because they don't belong in who God's creating us and transforming us to be. And at the same time, we want to grow and develop in our lives those things that do belong to the future that God is bringing in. The fruit of the Spirit, for example, that are spoken about. Things like love and joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things, to ask God to strengthen and enhance these things in our life, which will be changing us even now into the image of Jesus that we'll be living in the future. I said it's hard work, and it is. It's a bit like learning a new language. I don't know whether you've sort of had to start learning a new language at some point that you've never learned before, or maybe when you pick up a new sport and you've got to start using your muscles and your bodies in ways that you've, you've never used it before. It's hard. It, it, it feels unnatural when you start doing it. But over time, as you train or as you learn words and vocab, it starts to become more natural, second nature. And it starts to flow and, it, and you just make the moves or speak the words without having to think too much about it. And it's like that in our lives as we're changed to be the people that God created us to be, as we're changed now into the future people that God is preparing. And it's not like we just do it in our own strength, that we just grit our teeth and we try and do it, because God's Holy Spirit is at work in us. And we have to rely on God's Spirit and ask for the Holy Spirit to be transforming us from the inside out, relying on Him and asking Him to change those areas that we struggle to change, to get rid of those sins that we struggle to get rid of. What is it for you as you think about it tonight? What are the areas of struggle and sin that you, you don't want to have in your life? Or what are those areas that you really want to grow and develop to make you more like Jesus that you would love God to enhance in your life? Maybe later tonight that could be a topic for prayer ministry to go and speak with someone. Or maybe uh, in our life groups this week we can share with each other these are the things that I want God to be doing now because they're part of the great future that he's preparing. Or maybe just with someone you trust that you can share those things with each other. We need to help each other as we change now those areas of our life which are going to be a part of us for the future. The other thing to say as we finish up is that we also need to wait patiently for the return of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't work on transforming ourselves. It doesn't mean that we don't work 
for the good of creation, to look after the creation that God has given us and to see society and creation transformed in real ways, we need to do all of those things and work hard at all of those things. But we also need to recognise that the fullness of that change is not going to come until Jesus returns. And so as well as praying for the creation and our world and praying for ourselves. We also need to pray a beautiful three-word prayer that Christians have been praying for centuries. Come, Lord Jesus. Praying that Jesus would come back and he would complete the work that he's begun. That he would bring the not yet into the now as he comes and finishes the job that he started on the cross and through his resurrection. Where he makes the world... And he makes humanity who he always destined us to be. Who am I? Well, I'm created by God and I'm made whole and I'm made to reflect God's character. But I'm also broken and I sin and I stuff up and I struggle. I'm in Christ and in Christ I'm not condemned and I have God's spirit and... I'm a child of God, I can call God dad. But I'm not all that I will be and I'm not all that I should be. And I groan because the world is not the way that it should be and I am not all that I should be. But I wait with patience and I look with eager expectation, looking for the return of Jesus and asking that he come and he complete the work in me. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you that our identity is safe and secure in you. Please continue to complete the work that you have started in us. And we pray, Jesus, come quickly and finish the job. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.